want if you open your Bible with me in Deuteronomy chapter 8. And I want to just uh, continue another, just a, another thing related to what I was sharing about. Two weeks ago, I shared a message on wilderness wisdom, how to respond when you're going through a hard time. How many of our hard times come, don't they? They don't last. They're like everything. These two pass. So hard times come, and just because you're Christian doesn't mean it's not going to happen to you. The big, ch- big decision is, and the only decision you have is, when a hard time comes, when a tough time comes, when misunderstandings, difficulties, pressures, setbacks, all kinds of things like that come, here's the one question, how will I respond? Will I respond towards God, discover what God is saying, doing, and wants me to learn in the situation? Or will I harden and become bitter? It's the only choices we really have. So I want to just uh, look at one incident in Israel's life. But first of all, I want to just get you a little perspective on it. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, it says, You shall remember, verse 2, the way the Lord your God led you these 40 years in the wilderness. Now notice they were in the wilderness 40 years. It should only have been about one month. It lasted 40 years because they didn't really learn the lessons. To humble you, test you, know what was in your heart, whether you'd keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, fed you with manna, which you did not know, and your fathers didn't know, that he might make you learn experientially. You can't live just by external things. Man will live by every word proceeding from the mouth of God. And notice this, in the end of verse 16, it said, God did this that he might do you good in the end. Uh, it helps if we just understand that the wilderness was God's idea, that that difficult season was his idea. Through the Bible, we saw people, all major men in the Bible had times or seasons which you would call a wilderness. A wilderness was a very dry place full of wild animals. It was very difficult. It represented a very difficult season, a difficult time. Jesus, after he was anointed with the Holy Ghost and before he returned in the power of the Spirit, went through a wilderness experience. Wilderness experiences are written about in the Bible. And listen, the Bible explicitly says, 1 Corinthians 10, this was for us to learn from. So whatever they did is a great learning experience. Best that they learned it, paid the price. We just read the story and learn the lesson. Now, if you can understand that this is what was going on. In Egypt, Egypt represents bondage in sin. It represents your life without Christ. Coming out of Egypt, God did it all. All they had to do was just respond. God had in mind that they would go into a land full of promises. He also has promises for you, promises for your marriage, promises for your finance, promises for business, promises for an inheritance, promises of all kinds. But between uh, coming out of Egypt where God did it all, they just stepped into the blessing, and going over here, here in the Canaan, the land of promises, they had to learn to walk by faith. They had to learn to possess. In fact, While they walked through the wilderness, God gave them supernatural provision every day. As soon as they got in the promised land, it stopped. Now they had to operate kingdom principles. So Canaan represented kingdom lifestyle. Canaan represented our life advancing the kingdom of God. It represents the church going into the community, making influence in the community. But for all of us, individually and corporately, we have to change how we think. So when they were in Egypt, they were in captivity, they were in imprisonment, they were in hard bondage. In order to operate and and make an impact and possess what God had, they had to change mentalities. Here's what the wilderness is about. It's about changing how you think. It's about changing heart attitudes. It's about changing on the inside. That's what the wilderness is about. And so the purpose of the wilderness was to uncover 
their heart attitudes and mentalities. First thing that happens when you're under pressure, what's in your heart comes up. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? So it's to uncover it, not to condemn, but so we can actually grow and change. So the first purpose of the wilderness was to uncover what was in the heart and in the thinking, the mindsets. Because in order to enter the land and possess the promises and walk by faith, they had to have certain mindsets. They had to have an overcoming mindset, a conquering mindset, a Joshua mindset. They had to have a different mindset. So how do you shift the mindset after been living in Egypt in bondage and slavery and all kinds of slave mentality. How do you shift that mentality from there to becoming someone who's got a faith life that can now make a difference? Well, you have to have changes. So God just allowed a few tests to come on the way, 10 of them to be exact, the fullness of testing. So he allowed 10 situations to explore their heart and how they would respond. And what God was looking for was that they would learn to trust him and develop these two things. One, that they would develop a life of faith, trusting God. Secondly, that they would develop inner strength and character. Because you have to be tough to advance the kingdom of God. It's not for sissies. There's always resistance, always difficulties. And so a church of sissies isn't going to make a difference. See, God wants us to grow and become strong on the inside, strong in him. Isn't that right? Okay, all right then. So let's go and have a look at one little example. This is the first test. Now, this is, this is after all the victories. So they've had all these victories. They've, had, they've seen the 12 plagues. They've seen God deliver them. They've seen God open up the water. They've seen the waters close on their enemies. Absolutely marvelous. And three days later, they're in trouble. So we read it in Exodus chapter 15, verse 22. And in Exodus 15, verse 22, it says, Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. They went out into the wilderness. There it is. They're in the wilderness. And they went out just a few days, three days to be exact. That's all it took to change them from laughing, celebrating, and praising God to now having stress and strife and trouble. So that's Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. About the middle of the week, in other words. So from praising God on Monday to the middle of the week. That's about all it was. And so the middle of the week, three days, they had no water. And when they came to Marah, they couldn't drink the waters of Marah. They were bitter. So the name of it was called Marah. Should have given it away, shouldn't it? And the people complained against Moses. Why do we drink? And he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And when he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. And so he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them. And he said, if you diligently heed to the voice of the Lord your God, and do what's right in, your, in his sight, give ear to his commandments, keep his statutes, I'll put none of these diseases on you which I brought on the Egyptians. I am the Lord which heals you. There's a lot in this, and we can't do all of it in one session, but we'll just pick up. I want you to learn just a, a very simple lesson in this. You notice, first of all, what is the experience they've had? The experience they've had is one of tremendous victory. That's three days ago. Then for three days, they were without water, which means all the water supply dried out. And they're, Now, they're not Remember, although they're in the wilderness, there was a cloud over them. So it's not like they're under raging sun. They've actually got God with them. So every day, they can see the cloud of God's presence. So after three days, the water's run out. So they're looking for water. There's an expectation of water. And the water that they get is bitter. In other words, they got their hopes up when they saw the water. Then their hopes are dashed. So it represents an experience where we struggle 
and we have a season where perhaps the presence of God isn't so strong, where things are a bit difficult, we suffer lack of some kind, and then we've got our hopes up that something's about to happen, and it doesn't happen. Isn't that a common experience, where what you expected didn't come about, what you didn't expect happened? Well, you know, you expected the bill to be paid, and it wasn't paid. It's a bit nasty when that happens, isn't it? You expected something to come through, and it didn't come through. You expected this to happen, it didn't happen. So their expectations were dashed. So here's the thing. The place, so you notice here, they, 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 were, they were in this place called Marah. Now, it tells us in Exodus, if we just take a quick look at Exodus chapter 1, I want to read you a couple of verses there. And I want you to understand the nature of the test and what happened inside them. And it says in uh, Exodus chapter 1, it says in verse 13 and 14, the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with hard bondage or bitter or rigor. They made their lives, notice this, they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar brick and all manner of service. In all manner of service, they made them serve. Now, what has happened is the people have had to serve and they've under been, been under cruel masters. This is our life before Christ. Cruel, demonic masters. Sin is a cruel master. We lived in sin. And when we live in sin and in broken relationships and we're just trying to do the best, we suffer. And people have a various background. But everyone who comes to Christ has a story. You have a background. And your background is made up of a whole range of experiences, much of it in bondage to sin. And not only your own sin, but the sin of others. And so we are impacted not only by what we have done and the demonic torment of that, but what others have done to us and our failure to resolve it. And so we carry with us baggage into our Christian walk. It's in the soul. You got saved and your spirit was saved, but your soul wasn't saved. You still got all the baggage. And so you notice it tells us there their lives were made bitter. What happened? They were rejected. They were put down. They were used. They suffered injustice. They were treated cruelly. So their life in the world under, in Egypt was a life of put-downs, of rejection, of injustice, of lack, of hardship. And it's like, uh, in many ways, the life of people before we come to Christ. There are many areas we suffer or go through difficulties and experiences in. And, of course, what happened was, as a result of their bondage, they didn't resolve it. They became bitter. They were bitter in their heart. They were bitter because of their background, bitter because of their experience. I know growing up, coming up out of my background, I grew up bitter. Bitterness is very easy to get into our heart. There's an injustice or something happens that hurts us. It maybe repeats itself and uh, gets into our soul. We begin to feel resentful about it, angry and resentful about it. We don't forgive and deal with it properly like God wants. It goes down deep and it begins to, cr it begins to crawl its way down and gets roots in our soul, roots of bitterness. I didn't feel bitter, of course. No one really usually feels very bitter. If I ask a person, are you bitter? They'll never say yes. I've rarely heard anyone say yes. But bitterness has a way of revealing itself, and it reveals itself when God takes us through circumstances in life which push on us, just challenge us. And so one of the things is the Bible tells us that a bitter root defiles relationships. In Hebrews 12, 15, it says, now take heed lest anyone fall out of the grace of God. And there's the clue as to what the answer is, grace. It says, and, and a root of bitterness springing up, many are poisoned 
or stain. Isn't that interesting? That you could stain your relationships. That you could poison your relationships. That we could, uh, tw- we could defile our relationships. And so how does that happen? Well, it happens when there's bitterness. Bitterness in the heart is a root that grows and produces its own fruit. Usually when people are bitter, they make judgments. And when we make judgments rooted in bitterness, well, men, this is what men are like, or this is what my father, this is what people will treat me like, or we make judgments about ourselves. Well, I'll never get anywhere, or, or this is what's happened, or this is the kind of person I am. Or we begin to judge people, we begin to judge ourselves, begin to judge others. When those judgments start to form in our heart, they're rooted in bitterness, and they create almost like a bitter expectation that whatever situation I'm in, this is what's going to happen to me. So people brought up in poverty, for example, or financial hardship, you often have a real deep root of bitterness that they'll suffer financial lack. And then every time a little bit of lack comes up, which is normal anyway in life, it it just reinforces the pain. Yeah, I knew it, you know. And there's this bitter echo from inside them. And bitterness can grow very deep, and it stains us and affects our relationship. A woman marries a man who's bitter against his mother and against woman. Very soon, she will have a major problem in her marriage. He will defile the marriage by the bitterness. A woman who's bitter against her husband because of the way her father or some other men treated her will find herself in the end defiling the husband. And he will begin to take on the very things she expected because of the bitterness. Bitterness as a way of defiling and influencing everything around us. So we need to have a sweet spirit. Isn't it interesting that after all those years of bitterness and defilement, that they've got bitterness in their heart. So when they, it's not surprising after the way they've been treated that they're bitter. It's not surprising at all. A girl comes up out of a home where she's been sexually abused. Why would we, not, why would we think it's a surprise she's bitter? person comes up and their father's abandoned them. Why would we be surprised that they're bitter? Of course they're bitter. person's gone through injustice and hardship and bad treatment. Of course they're bitter. When you don't have Christ, you know what to do. You just take it into yourself. And in the end, you form judgments and these roots go down into the heart. But they don't disappear when you got saved. When you got saved, your spirit was saved. Now you have to journey with God. And in order to come into the promises of a great marriage, a great family, a great prosperity, we've got to let God work in our heart to shift those old mindsets and those old things that would hinder us becoming the people of God. So if God is wanting to shift you or shift your marriage or shift the church, you've got to shift us in our heart, shift us in our beliefs, shift us in the way we are. So, of course, the way he does, it sets up a few things to press on us a bit. The Bible says that if we judge others, Matthew 7, verse 2 and 3, if we judge others, we ourselves will reap the judgment. So if I judge others uh, in a certain way, very soon I'll find I'll be experiencing those things in my life. You know, you start to find, you judge people, oh, that person's such and such a kind of person. Pretty soon I'll be finding I'm reaping that very thing in my life. So the Bible says, first of all, get the beam out of your own eye and you can see clearly. Here's the problem with judgments. When you judge a person, make a decision, that means you, you, you look at their behavior, you look at that person, and then you pass a sentence on it. Well, that's what I think. Uh, some people just call it, uh, it's opinions. But when we have opinions based on appearances and judgments on appearances, this is what happens is your eye is so full of blocks, you can't even see anything clearly. So it says, first, remove the judgments out of your life, the log out of your eye. Then you can see clearly to help the other person. So very often when we look at other people, we evaluate and judge their, on their behavior, what you see. The Bible says God doesn't look on man from the outside, looks on the heart. 
we tend to judge people by what we see, how they turn up, their appearance, their behavior. We've got no idea what's going on. We have no idea the pain that's going on in their life. We have no idea what they may be struggling with. We just see how they behave and come to a judgment. Usually, it's a judgment that passes a sentence upon them. Now, when we do that, we're now positioned to reap the same judgment in our own life. We now have become blinded to reality. You can't see clearly unless you've actually got judgments out of your heart. You imagine if you've got a little speck in your eye and someone says, please let me help you get that speck out of your eye. I know exactly what to do. And as they lean over with a uh, little wee scalpel to get this thing out of your eye, you observe that their whole eye is blocked by a big beam and that they can't see at all. You won't let them near your eye. Why won't you let them eye? Two reasons. One, they can't see. Two, they've got no sensitivity to what you would need to be set free. So when there's judgments in our heart, it's impossible for us to really help anyone. The reason is because, one, we can't see the true issues. We're looking superficially and we're blinded by our own heart. And two, we have no sensitivity and compassion how to deal with the person's heart. One of the great things that's needed in our life is for the Holy Ghost to bring grace to us, to remove bitterness so we can see clearly and have compassion for people. Then you're positioned to help them. So what is the first test God takes them to? Isn't it interesting? It's the waters of bitterness, the bitter waters. So what does he do? He just gives them, gets their hopes all up. There's some water there. First of all, he suffers a bit of lack. There's no water. Then there is water, and then it's bad water. In other words, First, we're struggling, then there's a glimmer of hope, and then it just sinks. Now, immediately that happens for you, something will emerge from your heart. And what emerges from your heart is the very thing that reveals what's going on in your heart. See? So, there's fruit. Whenever a person's got bitterness in their heart, there's always a fruit. There's always a fruit for the root. So, if you ask someone, how many people in here are bitter? Well, you probably say, no one's bitter. They're all lovely people in here. No wonder we've just been worshiping Jesus. <laughs> That'd be wonderful with no bitter people here. But actually, I've picked it up in myself at times. I've picked it up in a whole number of ways, really. Let me tell you some of the ways you can pick it up. You can pick it up because it's always got a fruit. If it's got a fruit, you can see the fruit. Here's the thing you'll see it in a person's countenance. If a person's bitter, you'll see it around their face, around, particularly around the mouth. It shows in the mouth. The mouth begins to twist and, and become tight. And uh, you'll see it on the face, etched into the face. Bitterness eventually etches itself into a person's face. Uh, another place you see it is in uh, the, way, the words they speak, the most common ways the word they speak. And usually what you find is they'll be very negative. Negative or critical. Fault-finding. You see, fault-finding is no faith in that. Fault-finding does not advance the kingdom of God. What advances the kingdom of God is faith. See, faith sees what could be and calls it forth. Fault-finding says, you got this wrong with you, we've got to fix it up before you can go forward. Actually, it's not how God works. He never worked that way. He says, come to me and just respond to me and let me put something into you and you'll grow and you'll change. So, uh, fault-finding, judging, condemning. Uh, these are the kind of, here's another thing that bitterness shows up. Bitterness shows up in the inability to be thankful to people or to express gratitude. Now you have a think, who has blessed your life? Did you show them gratitude? Did you at any time say, thank you, when you did this, it was such a blessing to me? People who are bitter can't say thank you. They never say thank you. It's just impossible to say thank you. Why? Because bitterness won't let gratitude flourish. And so relationships 
always there's a demand. Somehow you've got to provide. Somehow you've got to fix this thing up because the bitterness is rooted in injustice and a demand that this you've got to do something. So it can't be fixed. It can't be fixed. Has to be person has to repent and be changed. So what does God do? God takes them to the waters of Marah. Now notice what happens. Two, two responses here at the waters of Marah. First of all, the people's response. What was the first thing they did? They, what they do? Complain. Who did they complain against? Well, they complained against Moses. He had nothing to do with it. It was God's idea, the wilderness. And the Marah, the waters of Marah, he had no, he had no control over that whatsoever. But, you have, but people who are bitter have to find somewhere to put the poison on. You just have to. You can't put it on yourself. You can't even dare to look at yourself. You've got to put it out there so you don't look inward. And so what they did was they complained. That word complain means it's the word from which the modern Hebrew word hotel comes from, to lodge overnight. So in other words, they had a resentment and a grudge that hung around overnight. They actually got, they got resentful. They were resentful. First of all, they had their hopes up, then their hopes are dashed. Now they're looking for someone to blame. The bitterness manifests. Moses... And they begin to complain and become bitter. And they've got to find someone to be bitter against. So they're bitter against Moses. Actually, they're bitter against God. Because what they're saying is, God, you don't know what you're doing. You're messing up. Actually, the cloud was with them all the time. You would have think they'd know that God was there. The cloud is a cloud by day and fire by night. It's there every day and every night. And the presence of God is there every day. Yet they're complaining to, against Moses that Moses had somehow stuffed it up. So you notice, now what Moses did was different. See, now Moses, in the midst of a pressure like that, did the thing you can do, which is to reach out to God. So he cried out to God. And I want you to see three things that happened. Number one, when he cried out to God. Number one, he got revelation. You see, when you're going through a difficulty, the one thing you need is God's perspective. What God, what are you trying to do in the situation? God, what do you want me to learn in the situation? Now, I find it surprising when people are going through difficulties, how few actually become God-oriented and ask God, what are you wanting to teach me? What do you want me to learn? How do you want me to respond? What is showing in my heart? Now, that's the, that's the response of a man of God, a woman of God. But I find people look for someone to blame or they go angry, they critic, they get fire up, don't have a drink or any kind of thing. But the one thing that's missing is just to come near to God and ask Him. Now, when you ask God for wisdom, He'll show you, give you wisdom. So notice He asks God. So God gives Him two, three things. Three things happen. One, He gets revelation. If you're going through a trouble right now, what you need is revelation, and God can give it to you. What do you need to learn? What is the purpose of this experience? What is God wanting to teach you in it? What do you got to change in your life? What's showing up in your life? How does God want you to treat that person? Only God can, God can show you those things. Here's the second thing is that God gave him revelation specifically of the cross. Notice he showed him a tree. That when the tree was put in the waters, the waters change and the bitter becomes sweet. Now, the only tree I know that changed bitter water sweet is actually this one here in the Old Testament and the cross of Calvary in the New Testament. You see, in the midst of a difficult situation of injustice, suffering, pain or whatever, the one thing you've got to find is, is revelation of how the cross has dealt with this thing and can bring you through to resurrection and life on the other side. In other words, and you notice the cross is to deal with my issues, not someone else's. I don't bring someone else to the cross. I bring myself to the cross. So you notice he needed to bring the cross into the water to change the water from bitter to sweet. What does that look like? Well, here's an example of that. When Joseph, remember Joseph was treated terribly by his brothers. 
He bought a bit on himself. He'd own uh, pride and the way he carried on. But, you know, he's treated so badly by everyone. But he ends up on top. He ends up out and he's fulfilled the promises of God. He's had his 13 years wilderness. He's now in the place of destiny. Now, guess what? When the brothers come, notice what he said. It wasn't you who sent me here. It was God who sent me here. He's not only forgiven them, he's got rid of all judgment. He's saying, listen, get over it, guys. Don't be hard on yourselves. Don't judge yourselves because God was in it, behind it. And I look and I see how God has used this to get me exactly where I need to be, fully fulfilling the dream of God. Whoa, thank you, God, for working through the situation. Now, you notice the bitter has become totally sweet. See, that's how God can do it. But, you know, to do that, he had to forgive him, had to let go his judgments, and had to recognize, actually, that was the tool God used to get me to where he needed me to get. Now, you see, we love the visions, dreams, desires, and all that kind of stuff. But between, anyone who started up a business and had a dream for a business will tell you that between the dream and the reality, there's an awful lot of suffering and pain. The difficulty goes on. So we love the dreams and desires, but there's a journey of growth, of experience, of learning a few things to bring you to the place where you actually now are fulfilling what God called you to do. There's a preparation. The witness is always just time of preparation. So you see how he cast it. And the last thing you see there is he had to cast it in. He actually had to apply the cross to the water. So God gave him the revelation. The revelation was one of the cross, but he had to actually apply it. If you're facing a bitter experience, God wants you to see how the cross, how the injustice, sufferings of Jesus Christ have fully paid the price to totally set you free from all that bitterness, all those judgments, all that pain. This experience is just bringing it to the surface. Now you can really deal with it so you can move on. And so you have to apply it. No one can apply it for you. You come an altar call. No one can apply the cross to you. You have to actually apply it yourself by faith. You, no one can repent for you. No one can turn from sin for you. No one can confess your bitterness. You actually have to own your stuff. And so what happened was when the pressure came, instead of Israel owning what was in their heart, coming and responding to God's provision, they just found somewhere to dump it so they didn't have to face it. In the midst of every wilderness experience, every setback, every disappointment in life, the first thing is, God, what is coming up in my life? God, what is coming out of my mouth? What is in my heart? What are you wanting to teach me? How can I grow? Now, how can I respond to this thing and bring forth your will into that? And that way you grow. That's how men of God work. And that's what, this is what he did. So I wonder where we're at. What bitter experience or disappointing experience are you facing? What trouble, difficulty, setback are you facing? Think about that. What is it? It'll be a situation of some kind. And then when you think about it, what is manifesting in your heart? What kind of response are you making? Do you hear praises to God and gratitude to God? Do we hear gracious words flowing out of your heart? Or is there a bitterness flowing out? There's a judgment. There's a demand. Someone else has got to do something. Someone else has got to change something else. Is there a demanding thing that comes through? What is coming out of your mouth? And if there's bitterness in your heart, you just need to face it. Say, God, cleanse my heart from every trace, every root of this bitterness. Lord, heal me. And you notice what he said. This, trick, this was for the healing. And God reveals himself, not only as the one who saves people, but the one who heals the bitter lives the lives that have been wrecked by bitter experiences. He's the God who heals the broken heart. He's the God who heals people of their diseases. He is the God who is the healer. 
So he, they, they experienced him as God, their Savior. Now he says, but I can heal you. I know you've been through some tough stuff. You've had all this bondage and people have abused you and done terrible things. And you've got all this bitterness and grief and sorrow, but I can heal it. And that healing is by way of the cross. You just got to be willing to come to the cross.